0: Welcome to In Orbit, the podcast exploring how satellites are empowering a better world. I'm your host, Maggie Adairin-Pocock. This podcast is brought to you by the Satellite Applications Catapult, a UK technology and innovation company driving economic growth through the commercialisation of space. Across the next eight episodes, we'll be discussing some of the incredible and unexpected ways the UK is using space to make huge differences to life on Earth, as well as taking a look forward to some of the amazing innovations we can expect for the future. In this episode, I'll be delving into the possibilities for small satellites. I'm joined by Graham Taylor, Space Mission Analyst at The Catapult, Pam Anderson, Head of Institutional Engagement at AAC Clyde Space, and John Beckner, CEO of Horizon Technologies. What would you do if you wake up one morning with a great idea for a product, a system or a service? And what if that idea involved space? Would you write to NASA? Get busy in the garden shed? How can ordinary people get access to the vast possibilities of space? Space seems distant, literally thousands of kilometres up outside the cocoon of the Earth's atmosphere. The final human frontier. It can feel very distant from our everyday lives. But space is the place where the future is being formed. The technologies we all take for granted are up there right now and even more are on their way. High above our heads, constellations, that's networks of hundreds of small satellites, are being formed, allowing the impossible to happen. Whereas traditionally it's been large satellites that have paved the way for some of the incredible innovations we use today, such as GPS and weather forecasting, it's these small satellites that are enabling even more of a space revolution, with their lower costs, closer proximity to Earth, and faster build times. From internet connectivity anywhere on Earth to 3D printing satellites, the future of satellites in space technology is an exciting place to be. AAC Clydespace, one of the UK's most successful space manufacturers, build their satellites in Glasgow, where previous generations built Britain's Navy and Merchant Fleet. Pam, you're the head of institutional engagement over at AAC. What's changed in the world of satellites? And what do small satellites mean for me if I wake up one morning with a great idea and need to get into space?
1: So traditional satellites could be the size of buses and they can cost millions or billions of pounds or dollars. Each one is a bespoke design and because they cost so much, it's really important to ensure that they don't fail. And you therefore have to have so much redundancy in place and make sure that everything is tested to the nth degree. Within the small satellite revolution, there's a much more standardised approach to satellite manufacturing. Uh, and CubeSats are a type of small satellite which um, embrace that standardisation. And they start from roughly a 10 by 10 by 10 centimetre cube, which is known as 1U or 1 unit. And the rest of the CubeSat form factors are then built on that standard 1U size and one of the most common sizes of CubeSat to date has been a 3U spacecraft, which is ultimately uh, three of these 1U CubeSats stacked on end to give you a satellite that's about the size of a loaf of bread. And the idea of standardisation is really to reduce cost. So you can buy tens of components that are produced in exactly the same way to drive down costs and ultimately reduce your development times. So where missions typically took decades and people would maybe work their whole careers on one mission, you can now perform end-to-end development in a couple of months and for a fraction of the price. So, thanks to Pam,
0: I know that the technology is out there to help me. But how do I get access to it? The right licences, the right advice and the launch? One answer could be the Satellite Applications Catapult's IOD programme. IOD stands for In-Orbit Demonstrator. It's a chance for companies to get a demonstration satellite up there to prove their ideas have wings. Graham, a space missions analyst at the Catapult, can you tell me a bit more about that programme?
2: The IOD programme was formulated about five years ago as a way of removing barriers for companies and others to make use of small satellites to address a new market or provide a new service. The problem is, although a lot cheaper than normal larger satellites, small satellites still cost upwards of a million pounds to get your first one in space. And it's quite difficult for a company or a startup or a university spin-out to raise that needed capital to be able to do that. So the IOD program is there to help them on their way. We put in a proposal to Innovate UK who funded us to buy in bulk a series of satellites and launches and then we work in collaboration with these companies to help them demonstrate their service across a a number of years and ultimately get a satellite in orbit for six months to show that they're capable of providing this service.
0: John Beckner, as the CEO of Horizon Technologies and a partner with the Catapult on IOD3 Amber, you're getting quite a boost from small satellites, aren't you?
3: um basically i think the whole field of small sats is is fascinating i still enjoy running my more traditional hardware business the idea of the small satellites gives you a business model which is data as a service and that is we sell data you get a subscription to data it's been in the news recently where the OneWeb consortium the financing fell apart and now the uk government is interested in taking over that constellation. And that's a constellation of hundreds of small satellites. And in fact, they would be used for essentially like 5G, it's internet communications. So this would totally change the way we deal with um, telephone communications and the internet today. And there's lots of people involved in it. Amazon's involved, Google's involved. So the past uh, three to four years have really been quite a ride. We're really looking forward to our launch and providing data to our customers. And We would not have had this chance without the satellite applications catapult from helping us prepare our bid to the UK Space Agency to managing the program as they're doing thus far. Uh, Their help's been invaluable and it really allows for UK small um, businesses to uh, be on the cutting edge of innovation. We are a UK, proudly a UK company based in Reading and our subcontractors are in the UK. And we're just happy to be part of the um, IOD3 program and getting Amber into space and starting to make money and providing jobs and business uh, for the UK.
0: Small satellites are the future and the future is pretty much here. The most recent count lists 1,886 satellites in orbit. 41% of those are small satellites. Any satellite less than 500 kilograms is technically a small satellite, but most are CubeSats. These are very small satellite cubes that measure 10 by 10 by 10 centimetres. Typically, three or six of these will be joined together to make a slightly bigger small satellite. Small satellites don't just allow people access to space. They let you do a whole new set of things, Graham. I'll let you expand on this.
2: So um, traditionally, you had a large satellites that that were launched every five years, and they had a suite of many large instruments on it, that each providing their own unique data set. There's some advantages to having all the instruments co-located on on one satellite, but likewise, you're you're tied into that large program, and you don't have much flexibility. With small satellites, you generally have one purpose for each satellite. You're not trying to multitask and you're solely focused on that purpose. So you're able to design it exactly to your needs, exactly to your timescale and potentially, because of the the much lower cost of them, launch many more of them.
0: So, Pam, how are we able to do so much with smaller satellites? How does the tech scale?
1: So... We now have much more capable electronic components that can be packaged up in much smaller sizes than we had historically. And that means that you can create much more capable spacecraft subsystems, but also satellite instrumentation. And that means you can start to get comparable performance from these small satellites and cubesats that you would have historically got from much larger satellite platforms. And that ultimately allows you to drive down your launch costs, the smaller the satellite, And the less it weighs because ultimately you pay to launch per kilogram. And that means that what was once the domain of large space agencies like NASA or ESA, the European Space Agency, has now really opened up for a whole new range of different organisations to become involved. So we're seeing so many more new commercial players within the space industry who are building new business cases around the ability to build and own your own small satellite and satellite constellations. So we're seeing lots of new applications and services that can be delivered from space. And that's really in particular from constellations of satellites with large numbers of spacecraft to give global coverage.
0: So what are some of the projects that you've had a hand in over at AAC?
1: Are Earth observation applications, where you have typically imagers uh, to provide pictures for different applications on, on Earth. That's things like the Firesat or zd Cube 2 satellite, which was a UK space agency-supported program with partners in South Africa, Kenya and Namibia. And that had a low-resolution near-infrared instrument that helped to detect wildfires. So using constellations of these satellites, you can dramatically reduce the time to detect fires, which ultimately reduces the amount of damage that they can cause. Other Earth Observation applications we've been involved with are the development of the two Seahawk satellites, which are looking at ocean colour applications. Uh, That was a a NASA mission in collaboration with partners in the US. And that can be used to help detect things like harmful algal blooms, which can be really problematic for, for fish farmers and can cause lots of damage. We've also been involved with science missions, for example, orbital microsystems, who partnered with the Satellite Applications Catapult on their first in-orbit demonstration mission, had a microwave radiometer on board their IOD-1 GEMS mission. And that was to measure temperature, humidity and precipitation. And they are really looking to revolutionise weather forecasting with global coverage from a large number of satellites.
0: Now, John, you're approaching the launch of your first satellite as part of the Catapult IOD 3 Amber mission over at Horizon Technologies. I guess just a few years ago, you'd never have dreamed that you could put your very useful but pretty obscure piece of naval tracking tech into space. So, how did this come about?
3: About six years ago, I discovered this niche market due to the piracy in Somalia. And I didn't really know, well, I I sort of knew what a satellite phone was, but really wasn't familiar with the technology in any case. And I was in South Africa to try to help them with their counter piracy problem. And I asked one of the people that was down there who knew about this technology, I said, well, who makes a device to detect satellite phones? And it turns out there's a company in Tewkesbury in the UK, uh, L3Harris TRL, and they make a device mostly for ground applications, for law enforcement, for some military to detect headphones. And I went out to Duke'sbury and said, "Listen, I need this product to put in airplanes to look for pirates." And they basically told us we do army programs; we don't do anything for airplanes. So this is about four to five years ago, and I basically took the technology, I hired some people, and we put that into a airborne qualified box, so to speak, and called it Flying Fish. It's about the size of a microwave oven, and it fits in manned aircraft today. The way it's used primarily is in the Mediterranean. The people who smuggle refugees from Northern Africa to Europe, they usually hand those refugees a satellite phone, usually a Thuraya phone, and they say, when you get out to sea, call this number, and they pre-program the number of the Italian Coast Guard. So that's what happens. They go to sea, they call the Italian Coast Guard, and if they're fortunate, there'll be an airplane flying over the Mediterranean, which will have a flying fish, and will spot their location. So many of these fly with NATO, many of these fly with the EU, with Frontex. Little did you
0: know that this obscure tech
3: was capable of solving a huge problem for a company in Scotland.
0: Tell us more about that.
3: A couple of years ago, I guess it's now probably four years ago, uh, we were approached from Spire Global, which is a company with a facility in Glasgow, and they wanted to put essentially flying fish technology in one of their small CubeSats. And since their constellation, I think they have about 80-some-odd CubeSats in orbit right now, detects the AIS signals that ships give off. Uh, what happens is is pirates and smugglers and people doing illegal things, they turn off their AIS transponders. So Spire came to us and said, we'd like to put your capability in our CubeSats. We had a number of meetings with Peter Platzer, the CEO of Spire, but their satellites really weren't big enough to take our technology.
0: And what about funding for the programs? Was it complicated trying to secure it?
3: We started bidding for Innovate UK grants to put up a CubeSat constellation, which we would call Amber, to detect these maritime signals. And our prime customer for that is NIMIC, which is the UK National Maritime Information Center in Portsmouth. And under NIMIC, they have about 12 various agencies, including the Royal Navy, Coast Guard, Border Force, police, everyone that has to do with the maritime sphere works through NIMIC in Portsmouth. And we've won three grants to date already from Innovate UK, we're very grateful. The first one was a uh, grant to do a ground station for CubeSats. The second one was a grant to do an extension to that contract which is ongoing due to some COVID issues. And the third program isn't purely with Innovate UK, it's with the Satellite Applications Catapult. And we were selected, competitive selected for their IOD3 program, In Orbit Demonstrator program, which allows us to launch a payload into orbit. And they basically act as our program manager. And we provide the payload. So it's essentially a flying fish. It also do some detection of maritime radars, as well as AIS signals itself. And we provide that to AAC Clyde in Glasgow. And it's supposed to launch in the first quarter of next year.
0: SIGRAM. Why small satellites? And what are the advantages over using traditional ones?
2: Um, Small satellites being much cheaper than traditional satellites. One, allow you to launch many more of them at a much quicker cadence. You can launch a new version every year or every two years or something and and update your technology that much quicker, which makes you more responsive to market needs or, or changes in capability. And also because they're cheaper, you can launch many, many more of them. Traditionally, you'd launch perhaps one or two satellites every 10 years. Now you'll be launching 40 or 50 over the course of a couple of years for some of the smaller constellations up into the hundreds, if not thousands, for some of the larger constellations. One of the key differentiators with small satellites versus traditional satellites is that of responsiveness. By the nature of having many more satellites, you can have them coming over much more frequently, potentially every hour or even every 15 minutes, compared to every six hours or once a day or once every few days for for larger satellites. That responsiveness is what's key to making them competitive and, and where they're adding value compared to the larger satellites, which mostly provide their data actually for free. So the commercial wedge is through
3: that responsiveness.
0: So John, could you expand a little more on some of the capabilities of IOD 3 AMBER?
3: So AMBER really means everything about it. It's a data service, so it's AMBER data. The satellites are AMBER satellites, and the whole program is called AMBER. We've got algorithms that allow us to geolocate targets on the surface of the Earth using only one CubeSat, so we don't need to do clusters of CubeSats, we can do it with one CubeSat, and essentially to get latency over the key areas in the maritime sphere, whether you want to be looking for targets, we can do that with six satellites. And the IOD3 program will be AMBER1.
0: So who's in the market for this kind of technology?
3: There are essentially 150 countries with coastlines, and those countries constitute the market for amber. These are countries who want to protect their economic exclusion zone. These are bigger countries who would want to actually monitor maritime traffic in the whole world. And there's commercial applications as well. There's shipping fleet owners who want to monitor their ships, see if there's uh, strange signals nearby, which might indicate pirates. Insurance companies wanting to see where ships are. Now, the people that turn their AIS transponders off are the ones we're looking for. So the other thing we look at is uh, maritime radars. And obviously at night, if you're a mariner, you're not really gonna turn off your maritime radar because you don't wanna hit anything. So we definitely have the capability with AMBER to detect and geolocate maritime radars. We can do a couple more sophisticated things with those signals as well to kind of differentiate one radar to the other. The other thing we're going to provide later in the AMBER program is the ability to detect GPS spoofers, people especially around the border of Russia and the Black Sea, and China does this, Iran does this, they send out phony GPS signals so ships don't know where they've been and no one can decide if a ship has really been there or not since its AIS is looking for the strongest GPS signal, and it's gonna be actually a spoofed GPS signal. Obviously, we could not have done this without the catapult. The satellite applications catapult has been tremendously helpful to us, and we have a company of, again, very talented people, but we come basically from an airborne, aerospace, manned aircraft, UAV background, and not a space background. And what the Catapult has done has been to bring the expertise of space to our team and shepherd us through this program.
0: Graham, things happen quite quickly in the world of small satellites, but where are we now? And how close is this future? Could we see low Earth orbit filled with networks of hundreds of thousands of these small satellites?
2: So um, small satellites are reasonably new in, in concepts and implementation, and there's only a few companies around the world that have, have really deployed a constellation in earnest. Planet Labs are the most famous and one of the leading entities in this, and they've got a fleet of over 300 satellites in orbits, providing optical imagery around the world. Their goal is to image every single place on the Earth once per day and be able to provide imagery at high resolution that can show things happening on a day-by-day basis. A recent example was the tensions in Kashmir between China and India, and they were able to provide imagery of the two forces within the valley in question within 36 hours of that incident happening. It's an amazingly powerful tool for providing intelligence, both commercial, military, and kind of just general public news information as well. Other examples, ISI for instance, a Finnish company who are providing radar imagery from small satellites. This has the advantage of being able to see through clouds so that you can image at any time of day, night, no matter the weather. And that's really useful for measuring things like water content flooding or locations of ships. And then another example, again in the Earth observation domain, is SPIRE, who are using reflected signals from uh, GPS satellites or emissions from different kind of ships and things like that to provide knowledge about the Earth from the signals being emitted from it. So listening to both natural signals as well as man-made signals and, and by... Looking at the reflections of them off the surface of the sea, for instance, you can tell how big the waves are, as an example. These companies have constellations that are still in deployment or have been deployed over the past two to three years with satellite numbers from the kind of the low tens up to the the three or four hundreds.
0: So I guess there's a lot going on out there. So how do we make sure that things are kept in order?
2: Uh, Space, although very large, is not infinite, and there is the possibility for things to hit into each other. So managing the amount of debris up there is very important. And across the world, there's different regulatory approaches for ensuring that each, each individual country and the businesses from that country act responsible. And that can include contracting companies to go up and remove failed satellites from their constellation. Companies like Astroscale are an example of someone who's offering this service.
0: A surprising number of these small satellites are going to come from the UK. Already, 12% of the satellites in orbit are manufactured in the UK. And 15% of the 500 plus satellites launched in the past three years were manufactured here too. Pam, I guess it's a quiet success story.
1: So... Not a lot of people know that Glasgow actually builds more satellites than anywhere else outside of California, and that we have a real thriving manufacturing capability for for satellites and for spacecraft. And while we've got strong manufacturing capabilities, the strength in the UK is actually that it's such a diverse sector. So we've got experience across the whole space value chain from early stage research and development at universities and research centres through to mission analysis and design, manufacturing, satellite operations. Again, we, we have a, an operation centre from, from the roof in Glasgow. Hundreds of people will walk past that every day and not, and not realise that our ground station is communicating with, with spacecraft. And hopefully we'll soon have launch capability from the UK as well. So we've really got that breadth of, of experience and expertise across the UK that I think people are perhaps unfamiliar with.
0: So I guess it's a much bigger industry here than a lot of people realise.
1: Yeah, the UK space industry employs 42,000 people and it's worth nearly £15 billion to the UK economy. And that's about 5% of the global space economy. And that increases when we look at the wider UK GDP that's supported by satellite services, which is over £300 billion. And the UK is not' it's not stopping there. It's got really lofty ambitions to uh, reach ten percent of the global space economy by 2030. And that's all made possible really by a strong support network that we've got both regionally and nationally within the UK. So we have organizations like the UK Space Agency who support lots of of different programs, Innovate UK, and the satellite applications catapult are a huge support, particularly to to SMEs and startups. And then regionally in Scotland through organisations like Scottish Enterprise or Highlands and Islands Enterprise. So we've got a lot of support for the industry in the UK that I think has helped to make it so successful to date. Graham, what are your thoughts
0: on the UK's place in space?
2: Um, historically, we've, we've built a lot of telecommunication satellites and Earth observation satellites within Europe and for the European Space Agency. But we've been quite a European leader in attacking the small satellite market and, and making use of it. Satellites are manufactured all across the UK, from Guildford and Stevenage in the south. Right up through the north and, and into Scotland, where Glasgow is actually one of the major satellite manufacturing centres of Europe. There's a lot of ways that the UK is attacking the small satellite market in, in a way that's quite unique. We've got support of um, regulatory agencies to to be progressive in our regulation and not not cause barriers to markets. We're looking at the whole value chain all the different people that are involved along the way of, of ultimately creating the end service. So people who are building the, the printed circuit boards that go in the satellite um, through to those assembling the satellite through to those writing the software for it. Hopefully we're going to be able to launch rockets from the UK and in the near future, of which we'll be able to launch them into space and then operate them from the UK. And then we do all the data processing in the UK as well and then make that available to companies. And having that whole value chain in one place puts us in a really good footing to be some of the best in the world at addressing this.
0: In just five years, the world of small satellites will look very different. Constellations and mega constellations of hundreds and thousands of small satellites will at least double the number that are currently out there in orbit. I guess this potentially means a boom for UK manufacturers and operators but also whole new areas of technological possibility, which can be hard to imagine at the moment. Isn't it going to be a busy few years for you, Graham, at the Satellite Applications Catapult and for you, Pam, at AAC?
2: So the IAD programme has already had its first satellite in space and has delivered data, and we've got uh, five more following it up closely over the next year or two and working with the the companies we've partnered with to, to deliver their service and demonstrate that as the the small sat ecosystem is is maturing we need to evaluate where we can best help and that might be by taking less of a prime role in helping these companies as there's other people who can provide similar service to what we were providing initially but on a more commercial basis so we're always trying to look the next step ahead in terms of where we can break down barriers and and open up opportunities so that is looking more into some of this in space economies and how we can help demonstrate things for the first time there while supporting more from a kind of a holistic business point of view as opposed to a practicalities of delivering these kind of missions going forward.
1: So AAC Clyde Space have recently received funding from Scottish Enterprise to look at next generation spacecraft technology through greater standardization and for us that's really a key focus. Constellations and scale production will also likely remain a key focus for for AAC Clyde Space and others as people look to develop new services and applications from satellite constellations. And I think we'll continue to see more people realising that space is accessible and can offer benefits to them. So we're talking to a number of organisations who historically would never have had engagement with the space industry but are now recognising what it can do for them Ultimately, space is just another data source, so where people have terrestrial means of collecting data, satellite data is is no different and people are starting to to recognise that. Personally, I'm quite interested to see how space and small satellites can contribute to things around 5G and quantum. So 5G is going to enable a truly connected world, it's going to be a complete game changer and enable instantaneous connectivity to billions of devices. So there's going to be so many new applications and services and business opportunities that we haven't even discovered yet. And satellites will play a key role in that 5G network where operators will be able to complement their 5G offerings with satellite connectivity in areas where terrestrial services are costly or difficult to install. And I think there's just more to come. So every time you you kind of think you've seen everything Actually, people come along with more good ideas. So it really is a constantly moving market.
0: Thank you to Pam Anderson, Graham Taylor and John Beckner for taking the time to talk to us about small satellites and to the Satellite Applications Catapult for making this all possible. To hear future episodes of In Orbit, be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. And if you want to find out more between episodes about how space is empowering industries, then visit the Catapult website or join them on Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook. Goodbye for now.